Hey, buddy. I think you need to take the lead on this episode. Why? It's just she's... I'm just a little shy. Uh, you? Shy? Come on. What's going on? Well, it's it's Julianne Cost, okay? It's in my most confused moments, she brought me clarity. When I was lost, she helped me find my way. I'm not sure I can talk to her face to face. Well, um, I was hoping you'd take the lead on this because I feel the same way. <laughs> what are we going to do? You guys, you know this is a Zoom call. I can hear you. I can see you, too. <laughs> Julianne Cost is an Adobe evangelist who's been helping sad sacks like us make sense of Photoshop and Lightroom for years. Her simple and elegant instructional videos, workshop presentations, and lectures are, in our opinions, the very best way to learn these complicated programs. And she's here with us to answer our toughest Lightroom questions today. And endure a little fawning. Welcome to Photo Combobulate, Julianne. <laughs> well, thank you. You guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Julianne, all joking aside, Jeff and I both are massive fans, and you really have been one of the best sources of information on these programs that we that we rely on almost every day to work on our photos. And these programs just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more complicated. So I still come back to your videos often when there's updates and things. I'm like, I've got to check in and see what Julianne has to say <laughs> about these updates to Lightroom. So we're going to start off by just asking you Lightroom questions. We kind of like to focus on Lightroom today because, well, we don't have all the time in the world and Lightroom is a, has become a program that is sort of the fundamental workspace for our photos. So um, we're going to throw some Lightroom questions at you and uh, let you work your Julianne cost magic and explain <laughs> it to us because there's a few things that we don't quite understand. Okay. I will give it my best shot. Excellent. Well, also some of this too is when Mason and I were talking about this, the funny part of this is we've both been using Lightroom for years. I didn't start at the very beginning. I I was an Aperture person and then I bought a brand new Mac because I figured it would speed up Aperture and it didn't. And I was like, okay, well, enough of that. And, then, and so then jumped over to Lightroom. I think I've been using it since version two or version three or something. And so like these mm -hmm. are things that we do all the time. And yet there are still some some elements where honestly – and let me even back up a little bit more and say like I write about this stuff. I've, I've written articles and yet I'm like, OK, I need to boost the color in my image. Well, OK, do I want to use vibrance or saturation? I know what's going on kind of or say with sharpening, another thing we don't want to talk about. I know what's going on kind of but honestly – I go in and I just start moving sliders and see what looks best. And I feel like a fraud for just going in and, and, and doing that because I'm like, yes, well, <clears throat> as the authority, what you should do is just start moving sliders until you like what you see. But that's kind well, of it, I right? Th that's good. You know, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. I, I encourage everyone to experiment around because every image is different. So there's an infinite number of variables. So which tool you use to change color or to add contrast or to sharpen, it's all dependent on the image. It's dependent on what you like too, right? So some people like things crisper than others. I mean, sometimes right now, I think video, for example, is too sharp. <laughs> I don't need to see myself so sharp. And sometimes, you know, with photographs as well. And I don't think anybody here, I, I certainly don't know everything about 
all of the Adobe apps, not even Lightroom Classic and Photoshop. You know, I have a hard time just keeping up with them. It's it's actually one of the best yeah. parts of my job is that it's always evolving. It's never, never stale, but um, I just encourage everyone to play. So clarity should not always be at 100. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> no. Clarity at 100 so. for portraits. That's that's my go-to, right? <laughs> um, sure. Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> Mason's going to kick me off as soon as he can right now. It's it's, it's Jeff's obsession with clarity. Um, I, I do want to ask, for me, I feel like I'm going to echo a little bit of what Jeff said, but I'm going to come back around to what you said, Julianne. I feel like I understand the way it's supposed to work. And I'll even teach it in classes. I'll be like, this is how you use this this particular panel. And then I'll watch a YouTube video by somebody where they turn it on its head. And so I suspect that Lightroom has evolved into such a deep and multifaceted program that you can come at it from several different angles and get the same result. So I guess one of my questions is, and I'm going to be very specific, vibrance and saturation. Okay. Are they the same thing? Okay. So no, they're not. Um, They're not. So the difference between the, so we're talking right now in Lightroom Classic in the develop module in the basic panel, there's those two sliders, right? So the difference is that the saturation slider, it makes absolute adjustments to all colors in your, in your image equally. So if you move the slider like towards negative a hundred, you're going to decrease the saturation in all of the colors. And if you go all the way to negative 100, you'll end up with what looks like a monochrome or a grayscale image, right? And if you move the slider in the other direction to, you know, positive 100, then Lightroom Classic will fully saturate all of the colors in your image. So the vibrant slider, on the other hand, is relative, right? So when you move the slider towards negative 100, you can go all the way to negative 100, but because it's removing a relative amount of saturation based on how much saturation was in the original image, you're not going to get a grayscale image. There's still going to be some color in that image. And likewise, when you try to move your vibrant slider all the way over to the right to positive 100, it's a little bit biased in that the slider is going to look at all those colors that were highly saturated to begin with. And it's going to try to avoid pushing those really saturated colors all the way to pure saturation. Because if it did that, like the saturation slider does, what happens is if you have a a bunch of information, like really a lot of bright magentas, and you shove them all all the way to pure magenta, it's going to appear that you're losing detail in your image. It's also biased in the colors that it moves. So vibrance tries to leave alone your yellows and your reds and your oranges, kind of those skin tone colors so that it can move like your blues and your greens and your aquas. So if you have like an environmental portrait where you've got a bunch of people and you want to make the sky bluer and the trees greener, you might want to look at the vibrant slider to increase those because it won't make your person look like they have a sunburn. Okay. So to read that back to you, just so I understand it, (laughs) you're so good at explaining things. Um, (laughs) Vibrance is a smart slider. Saturation (laughs) is like a heavy hammer. Like, bam, I want more color. And obviously, Vibrance predates the AI features of of Lightroom as we know them now. But it's always been looking at analyzing the the tonal values of the photo and adjusting things based on their intensity 
as the raw file sits. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because it doesn't want, it's trying to minimize clipping the colors when you're pushing, when you're adding more saturation to an image, but you can always use the two in combination, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can, you could maybe take the saturation slider and take the saturation down like 50% overall in an image and then increase the vibrance to get more saturation in Mm -hmm. the areas that aren't the skin tone areas. And you know what I do when I, okay, so obviously you want to do this on your own images, but I also, what I'll do is I'll just make a gradient of all the colors that are 50% saturated going from like through the rainbow. And I just play with that with the set, with the sliders and I see which ones move and which ones don't. Oh, so I, I, like I do do like when I try to, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with just moving around sliders and seeing how your image ends up. But if you, that's kind of like, for me, that's kind of like following a recipe, right? Like the recipe's mm-hmm. there and you can follow it and great. You can make a fantastic cake. Terrific. But if you want to know the science behind it, then maybe you need to investigate a little bit more. So I, I like doing that kind of testing stuff because if I know what something does under the hood, then I can be more consistent with how mm-hmm. I edit my images, if I understand what's actually happening, instead of just going like moving the slider and going, oh, I like that. Because then if it doesn't work on the next image, I wouldn't know why it didn't work. So that yeah. that leads me to another question. Since you work at Adobe, do you ever get to just go down into the deep, dark levels of the lower basement where the engineers are and <laughs> like sit down with them and say, listen, what are you doing with this slider? Well, the engineers are, on the, well, the engineers are all over the place these days, but they were on the 10th floor was the Photoshop floor in, in um in San Jose. And yes, the engineering team is brilliant. I love working with, I, I, it's one of the reasons I love working at Adobe is they make my job so easy. They're always coming up with incredible stuff that has a little bit, I will have to say a little bit of magic to it, right? Like Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have thought like, Oh, saturation and vibrance should be different, but they're putting this little bit of magic that says, you know what, we're going to help you by not letting you smash all your super saturated colors to the same value. So, um, and they're really open. They, they love to talk about what they do, of course, because they're super passionate about it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that helps explain the rule of thumb that I've always followed and told that if you have a person in your image, then you really want to lean on vibrance more than saturation because saturation can just like ruin skin tones. Yes. Um, but I never really knew why. And especially, uh, you know, as Mason pointed out, there's so many AI tools now. I mean, like like the AI masking stuff where it will know that, oh, here's a person and here's the person's face and here's the person's lips and eyes. It, it can segment that out. And yet we've had a tool that predates that by – you know, I don't know, a decade or so. So that was great to hear that it's really just focusing on sort of those skin hues that are that are typically always there. Of course, you, you still have way you have a lot more power too with some of our other color tools. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah you know, going into HSL or the color panel or doing color grading and stuff like that. It's it's um there's yeah. there's lots of powerful tools. I will just say one little tip for for the folks that are that are listening to this. Um, if you are in quick develop, so if you just want to make a quick change to your image, because that's what I try to do. I try to do, I try to edit all my photos, and by edit I mean cull. Like I try to you know cull down my images from a shoot without ever going to the develop module. Wow. So I don't go over there first because I'm editing for a specific thing. 
Uh-huh. Right. And otherwise I end up going to the develop module and I spend a bunch of time editing and then I realize it's not the photo I want to use. And so I've wasted all that time. Yep. So I'll, I will allow myself to use like quick develop. And, um, the nice thing is if you press down the option key on Mac or the alt key on windows in quick develop, um, the vibrance will switch to saturation. It toggles back and forth between the two. So some people think like, Oh, those aren't available in quick develop, but they are there. Uh. So. Wow, that's great. I I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) So so to to get slightly more technical, just a little bit. So if if I have pushed my saturation up, and then um, and then work on the vibrance, is the vibrance reacting to what that current saturation value is, or is it uh, reacting to the sort of base color saturation levels in the image? I don't know. Okay. Mm. I don't know. Like all the math is done at once, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so you're doing a bunch of math. So we don't do like, it's not like in like Photoshop where you used to have a pixel based image and then you'd have to like, you'd move your levels and all your pixels would move one way and then you would do curves and they'd all move back and you'd get yeah. these gaps in your histogram. Um, because the Lightroom is parametric editing, which is just a set of instructions. I think that all that math happens at once. So I think what would be more, yeah, I don't know. That's when okay. I'd have to say, I'm just going to have to look at my image, see what happens. Yeah. Mm. See? Okay. You thought I was technical. I'm not. Now I'm going to have to ask the engineers. Might have to write a blog post on it. Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Happy to help. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to my, my other burning question, um, an area that I, again, thought I really understood until I watched some other videos and they were like, do this, and, and it does it differently. And I'm like, God, that's not at all what I thought it did. And that is sharpening. And so when I process an image, I think this came from a video that you did years and years ago, uh, where you say work down the panels in Lightroom. So you start at the, the basic panel and you work your way down. And so I would adjust clarity in the basic panel, and then I would get down to detail and start you know, doing some masking and detailing and all of that stuff. Help me understand as if I'd never touched Lightroom before, help me understand how to sharpen an image properly. (laughs) Okay. So I might have to um, take back that working down the panels. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. I I might, that might be an old video because I'm thinking about it right now and I'm like, Oh gosh, you know, if I was new to Lightroom, I would probably go to like the, probably apply my profile first. Then I'd Mm -hmm. probably go down to lens correction and take off any distortion, like lens distortion, right? Because Mm -hmm. I'd probably want to do that before I cropped the image. And then I'd probably go and work on my tones and then, and color. Um, But that's kind of off the topic of sharpening. (laughs) So you've kind of thrown all my... Well, step out the window. I mean, but it, here's the thing. It doesn't oh, matter. It doesn't, doesn't matter because it's, it's all non-destructive, right? Yep. So you right. can go back and like, even, you know, uh, that's definitely what our product team says is like, you know, like you should go to exposure first and then contrast and work your way down that, those, the tone stuff. I just don't do it that way. Like I set my black and white points first. And I think it's because mm. I have a background in print and mm-hmm. that's, you know, I didn't want to clip anything. So right. I set my white point, set my black point. Go in shadows, highlights, and then adjust uh, exposure. But 
you know, just because I do it that way, if you don't think that way, then why torture yourself? If you think exposure first, just be like, oh, I do exposure. Because a lot of times I have to go and refine my black and white points after, you know, adjusting all the other sliders. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of give and take. Um, yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's all I'll say on that. <laughs> well, and, and, and no, I think this is a good point to, to bring up that there are so many things that I think are taught or especially, you know, YouTube videos like this is the only way to do it or this is the most efficient way to do it. And it's, it's really not. I mean, the flexibility is the thing that I love about Lightroom and the non-destructiveness, but also the fact that you can get to a similar destination in a variety of different ways and that can also depend on just how you see the image. You know, maybe you focus on color first and so you you work on the color and then you bring up the tones. I guess I'm not really here to sell Lightroom, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> just for people listening who think, oh, well, you know, I saw Mason Marsh's video and he says you have to do it in these, you know, specific steps. Uh, you know, maybe at one point that was helpful, but now there are so many, so many different ways to come at it. And also to remember you just one thing, it's going to affect another. I would agree completely. And it's always changing and it's just personal preference too. I mean, it'd be like saying the only pie to make is a cherry pie. You can't have lemon meringue. No. No. You know, and well, Sorry, if no. you, you know, it's like if you're a wedding photographer, that workflow might be incredible for you and save you tons of time. But if you're not, if you're editing for something else, the hero shot or whatever, mm-hmm. or you know, whatever you're doing, it, it yeah, it, it just, yeah. I love when people are like this, they're really passionate about it and this, they know exactly what works for them and they've taken the time to figure that out and they want to help other people. So they're, they're telling them their workflow. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to take everything from it. You can yeah. always adapt it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to interrupt um, well, Mason's I, question. I, I, oh, okay. You're going to interrupt. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm just kicking it down the line just a little bit. Okay. I'm because, not going to forget it though. Because I think, I think a preamble to that question is you want to do some sharpening. Can you give us some advice on how to know what sharpening to do? Because there's just – I want something to be generally sharper or I want like a subject to be sharper or heaven forbid – my image is a little bit blurry because of camera shake. Is it totally lost? Can I do something about it? All that kind of stuff. Like, like maybe, maybe the why and then the how. So sharpening, uh, it is super important. There's, um, I would say there's the sharpening that you're going to apply in Lightroom, or if you're using camera raw, that could be considered like input sharpening. Maybe we can call it that. Um, it is going to help, especially, This is why I tell people they should make sure their horizons are straight when they take the picture, because if you go in and the first thing you have to do is crop and straighten your image, then you've taken all those pixels and you've slightly rotated them and you're going to lose just a tiny bit of sharpening. So look, I'd rather lose a tiny bit of sharpening and get a, (laughs) a nice horizon. But point being, it's that kind of sharpening that the sharpening or the detail panel in Lightroom Classic is really good for because it's global. So it's going to affect everything in your image. What sharpening does is it's, it's actually, it's, it's, it's a trick, <laughs> right? So it, what the software does is it looks for edges in your image. And when it finds an edge and it's looking for edges at the smallest detail level. So the highest frequency, those little teeny tiny details in your image. 
It's finding the edges and it's going to make one side of the edge darker and the other side of the edge lighter. And when it does that, it fools your eye into thinking that your image is sharper just by adding that contrast. And that's why there is the amount slider. That's the amount of contrast. And then there is the radius. And that says, okay, so I found this edge. How many pixels on either side of the edge do you want me to apply this contrast to? And then there's two more sliders, detail and masking. So think masking, like people wear a mask. So those two sliders help suppress sharpening in areas like skies or... um They're like almost flat areas, but they might find like a little edge there. There might be a lot of noise there. And so you use those two sliders to help you suppress the amount and the radius, the amount of sharpening that you're adding to those areas. Um, the masking, if you, if you hold down the option key and you like crank up just to look at it, move your, your amount and your radius, you know, pretty far to the right. And then hold down your option key and use the masking and the detail slider. And you'll notice one of them is like really crisp and one of them is super like organic. So you want to use the organic, that's the masking one, on people because it's going to do a better job suppressing in like skin tones and solid areas. But the the top one, the details, like if you had a landscape, you know, it could still get the nice, you'll notice like if you do it on a tree leaf, you'll get a nice crisp edge around the leaf, but it'll suppress some of it maybe in the middle of the leaf if there's not a lot of detail there. Does I have to say, I've known about the the holding down the option key forever. And every single time I'm like, ooh, look at this. Because <laughs> yeah. of the it's such a nice thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it it uh, for, for for people who haven't used it, it basically turns your image into a, a grayscale image. And so you only see the active areas where it's highlighting. And I'm sorry, where, where it's sharpening. The highlights are where it's sharpening. And it's super easy just to see exactly what's going on. I swear, every time I'm like, Gee, this is cool. I love it when they do that, right? Because we're visual people. So to be able to see the visual representation of the mask is really, and I got tired of, you know, like, well, if you ever worked in the dark room, we made this thing called a contrast mask. And they're like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, you know what it looks like? Hold down your option or your alt key. That's what it looked like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now here's the wrench into the machine. Clarity and texture. Oh, okay. No, no wrench whatsoever. So <laughs> okay. sharpening is for help sharpening, me, me. right? Sharpening okay. is for sharpening. Oh, and you also ask, um, because the detail panel, that is global. So then, of course, you can always go into masking, and sure. there is a sharpening slider there, and you can always you can use that locally as well. Okay. So there is there are subtle differences, um, but I will put... I'm going to add to your, to your, I'm going to do three or maybe even four. So there's the contrast slider. You can add contrast. That's kind of, um, mm-hmm. that is going to be like full contrast in your image. It's going to really, if you watch your histogram while you move the contrast slider, it's going to really spread out your histogram. So it moves the whole range. Then there's the, the texture, clarity and dehaze. So the texture slider, um, and these can, I always tend to talk about them when they're increasing, when I increase the value, but of course you can also decrease the value as well. So it's going to decrease or increase the value of texture in your photograph and it retains those fine details. If you're moving it positive and, and then to the left, it's going to try to remove some of those, um, medium sized details for doing things like, uh, helping to soften, minimizing skin texture or, um, mm-hmm. or the texture of a surface or something like that. So it's, it's just right above the sharpening. 
So it's not finding the same edges like sharpening is, but it is finding edges. And it's doing the exact same theory as sharpening. So it'll find an edge, the texture slider finds an edge, and depending on which way you move the slider, it's either going to increase or decrease the contrast along that edge. Okay. It's just looking more broadly than pixel by pixel is what you're saying. Instead of the super, super fine details, it's the next level up, the next bigger level of details. Okay. okay? And if so you compare it, the two, if you go mm-hmm. and you move your sharpening slider and then put your before and after up like left and right. So the left one, you know, drag the hist from your history straight, drag the, you know, here it is with my sharpening on. So that's in your before. And then on your after, you can sit there and adjust the texture. You'll notice that it's it's actually affecting a very different area of your image. So it's not the smallest details. It's the next level up. The other thing that you want to make sure is that you, when you're applying something like texture or even clarity, you want to make sure that you look at it at different zoom levels, depending on how you're going to export the image. Like you might need to change these values if you're going to print the file versus just post it, say, small on, on social media. Okay. But let's compare before I get off track. So that is texture. Texture still looks for edges. When it finds an edge, it adds an amount of contrast or subtracts an amount of contrast based on which way you move the slider. Then when you move to clarity, which is also a local as well as a, a global adjustment, it can be used to increase or decrease edge contrast. But when it, it first of all, it's biased. So it's really looking at the midtones of your image, whereas texture doesn't care. Sharpening doesn't care. Well, they're a little biased, but not nothing. There's nothing you can control. So with contrast, I'm, I'm sorry, with clarity, you're really looking at mostly just the edges in the midtones of your image. So it's not going to affect, like if you have a really noisy shadow area or a nice sky that doesn't have a lot of texture or not texture, but of detail in it. So it's not, it's not affecting like the full range of contrast, like say the contrast slider would be. Okay. Um, and it's also being applied over a bigger radius of pixels. So you can imagine it's got a thicker edge on each side, mm-hmm. right? And it also decreases the saturation a little bit in the image. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not, but really? you can move, you can move your texture slider back and forth and nothing really happens with the saturation of your image. When you move the clarity slider, you probably visually will be able to notice that. Mm-hmm. Most people don't notice it with texture, but with clarity, you, you would definitely notice it. And then dehaze, which is also in that little group, you know, it's, it's a technology that's based on seriously, like ha- it's a physical model of how like light is transmitted and then it tries to estimate how it's absorbed through the atmosphere. Wow. Point is when you're moving the slider, um, there's relatively little change in like the, the highlight area of your histogram, but there's a lot of change in the darker values of your histogram. Mm-hmm. And it adds a lot of saturation because it was made for like a smoggy day and you know, mm-hmm. a smoggy day hardly has any color in it. So it will add some saturation. It's actually kind of interesting. Like sometimes I'll use it instead of setting my black point, I'll use mm-hmm. dehaze. If I just want to give a little bit of punch of color into the image, you have to be a little careful. It will clip your blacks pretty quickly. So again, that mm-hmm. magic option or alt key, if you hold it down while you move dehaze, it will, uh, it will show you what's going to be clipped to pure black. But see, I've done it again. I'm only talking about adding contrast. It also goes the other way. So. I always forget to say that. Yeah. Yeah. But I find dehaze when I pull it to the left, it gets, it just looks, it just looks fake. 
I mean, it, I know it adds it adds a haze, but it doesn't look atmospheric. Um, I think sometimes that's because the photo doesn't look atmospheric. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you had like a really flat image to begin with, you're going to, you know, like that's sometimes that's the problem with like presets and things like that is that they look so good on one image. But when you try to apply it to another image, you're like, wow, you know, that yeah. looks horrible. Why? And you're like, well, because that was like a horror movie preset and you put it on a newborn. <laughs> you know, it's not working very well. Um, and that happens. That does happen quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. I found that that. Uh, if you want to add some atmosphere using dehaze with a mask so you can give it a little bit more more shape and, and position seems to work better because otherwise – I mean you know, if you're looking at a scene and you, you sort of want it to be a little more foggy in the background, it's, it's just not going to be uniformly hazy. You're going to want that, mm-hmm. that sort of distance. So adding a mask and applying it there. Yeah, I would agree. And, and like sometimes like you, people ask like, well, you know, what do you use? So on someone like me, like I, if I was doing a local sharpening or not sharpening, but adding contrast to my hair, like I could get away with using dehaze because my hair's so light. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. va- like there's a lot of difference between the lightest and the darkest and I can pull it down darker. But on someone with darker hair, you would just end up ruining all the detail in the shadows. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, yeah. yeah, that's the thing, you know, you make these fabulous tools and then you give them to, um, creative individuals, of course, they're going to use them in all sorts of crazy ways, which is brilliant. Yeah, I often tell my students, with great power comes great responsibility, right? That is correct. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Where did that come from? <laughs> it's from an from a old book. Old book. Think, Jeff. Yeah. It's Shakespeare. Shakespeare. <laughs> I have like s- sort of a random one, and I don't know if this is just a, a uh, yet-to-be-incorporated feature, but one of the things that I – sometimes feel limited by is when I'm making a mask, we have almost all of the adjustment tools that can apply to a mask, but not everything. Like every once in a while, I would just kill to have an HSL slider when I'm working on a masked area. And I'm wondering, and and I don't know how much of this maybe you can say if if you know what the development priorities are, but is it just because that that's lower in the list of priorities to inc- incorporate that feature, or is there a reason why, say, if I applied uh, an HSL adjustment to a specific area, does that like throw off calculations for other tools? Okay, so I cannot talk about the future. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but, I know. Um, however, I will say this. We're not actually this. trying to gotcha into anything. but <laughs> I know, I know. So I, I do think that um, – because I was the same way because I'm super familiar with HSL, right? And yeah. I use it all the time. And so I was like, gosh, it would just be really nice if, um, if I just had HSL as a, as a local adjustment in the masking panel. And then um, and then they're like, well, okay, so you can change the hue with the hue slider. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, and you can change exposure and everything. Like, you could change luminosity. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, yeah, you know, you can kind of change the saturation with the saturation slider. I'm like, ah, you guys are killing me. me. Uh, You know, I know, like, okay, I get that, but I just, like, it's just this nice little familiar blanket that I have. Like, I just know how to use HSL. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I think, I think coming back to your, your topic of priorities, I like, more people want curves in 
more quickly than like they have this kind of workaround right now. It's not the same UI that they're used to. So it's a little bit of a bummer because it's like, eh, I have to learn something new, but I've learned it now and I can, I can usually get, but I would love to know, like if you guys, when you guys are teaching and stuff and you have students, if you can't, if they can't get what they need from what's in there as far as HSL today, um, mm-hmm. send me, send me an email because you know, that that's great feedback. Um, but you know, like curves just went into the tone curve just went into camera raw mm-hmm. this October. So, um, so hopefully, even though I can't talk about the future, uh, it would be my guess, you know, just my guess that mm-hmm. maybe it would appear in some other applications at some point. Um, <laughs> so I think there's just a few other things they're, they're trying to, to get rolling. You know, I just, I wish we had unlimited resources and we could do everything right now, but it doesn't always it doesn't always work best that way. Sure, sure. Well, well, and then, but if we did everything, that would slow it down, and people would complain. Listen, people don't complain about software. People don't come complain on. about like come on. Yeah. It, it's a magical. I mean, it is so. I am just so amazed at that team. Like what they come up with, what they do. Because you know the other question, and, and I, I don't want to blab on too long, but the other question that I always get is about color, and um, no one, you know, I just. If you're thinking about what color tool you want to use, of course, there's there's your white balance. Oh, and one thing I didn't say with dehaze, it can be helpful to set your white balance before you use dehaze. Um, otherwise, you're going to probably have to come back to white balance, and then you're like going to have to come back to dehaze. Mm-hmm. But um, I think a really simple way of looking at the different color tools, you know, you have your vibrance and saturation. Those are kind of like the hammer that you would just use really quickly. Then you have HSL, which is taking a color range, right? It's taking a a range of colors, your reds, your oranges, whatever, and changing HSL. Then you have the tone curve, but that's like color balance, Mm -hmm. right? Because you can go into each of the curves, red, green, and blue. Mm -hmm. And then, so if you're more familiar with color balance, that might be a better way to work. But color balance is different than a tonal range. Like a color range in HSL is different from color balance, which is also different from color grading, Mm-hmm. Which is shadows, midtones, highlights, mm-hmm. right? So we're, we're, cause people are like, why are there so many color tools? Why can't you just have one color tool that works? I'm like, well, <laughs> okay. They, they all do very different things. Sorry, but you said the thing about complaining and that was fresh on my yep. mind. Oh, yeah. Like, ah. yeah. 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 Well, they all work. They work differently, but there's a reason for that, you know, like, cause they all do really good stuff depending on what you want to do. But mm-hmm. I kind of like that very simplistic, like, it's either a range of colors color balance or shadows, highlights, and midtones that people go, okay, gotcha now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I might be naive to think this, but, you know, going back to Photoshop, I've both Jeff and I have used Photoshop forever too. It seems like you're either a, a levels curves or you, you pick a camp and you kind of, that's where you, that's where you park your, your mindset and that's how you approach a photo. When, Adobe added color grading to Lightroom. I was like, well, that's great. I'm not going to use it because I come from this camp that believes that you, you know, approach it from these, mm-hmm. this angle. I do like it though. Now that I'm, I'm teaching more, I'm seeing that people are like, well, this, this makes sense to me, whereas that doesn't. And so Adobe has added a lot of features to Lightroom is probably the biggest understatement you could make. They've added a lot <laughs> of features to Lightroom that are somewhat redundant to what was already there, but they're a different approach. They're not necessarily an additive feature 
as much as a comparative feature, if that makes sense. Is that is that fair to say? I would say they're specialized features because I don't know that, yeah, there might be some redundancy as in like all these different tools change tone or all these different tools change color. But for example, to, to have the sophistication you, for a person to use curves. Okay. So, you know, in color balance, you can add, let's say I add color to my shadows, midtones and highlights. And then there's a, there's a balance slider, which determines what is a shadow, midtone and highlight. And then there's a blend slider, which determines how the colors that I've added are going to blend together. So that is a level of sophistication that for someone to figure out how to replicate that in curves, I think would be very difficult. And so I think some tools, you know, I, I love giving people more options because like you said, some tools just make more sense to some people than others do, but also they can really finesse. Like if, if the intent is, okay, we're color grading, we're adding color I mean, think about that. Like 20 years ago, they'd be like, you're just adding a color cast. That's bad photography, right? So <laughs> now we have specialized tools that, that are enabling us to, to really change the mood of an image mm. and specialize that exact technique. So they might seem right, redundant, I think, on the surface, but I think under the hood, they're actually doing things that were not possible in any other way before. I... I buy that. <laughs> and, and, you know, someone could prove me wrong. Definitely. They could do a test. They could get up a histogram and bring up a grayscale and be like, nope, this does exactly this if you set it to this. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? That's not part of that person's workflow. So I'm really glad they can achieve it in multiple ways. Yeah. There's got to be like four ways to do everything right in Lightroom. Yeah. So yeah. I have one more question. I'm, I'm, I keep feel like I'm stomping on Jeff's questions, but I have one more question. I know this is one that Jeff has too. So work. Presets. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I use them if I have to batch uh, process photos, if I'm doing a, an event and I want everything to look consistent. But as a rule, I don't lean on the presets panel. That's usually closed and I'm <laughs> stick, sticking to the right side of the screen. Presets seems like they've, they've become a cottage industry. I mean, there's everybody out there selling batches of presets and like, get my look, you know, apply my presets. I have really strong feelings about that. It, it, <laughs> and you can probably guess where I'm leaning. Um, you love them. You love them so I, much. I buy every set that comes across my desk. <laughs> Sorry. No. It seems like the preset marketplace in Lightroom is a good way for people to get introduced to maybe some processing that they wouldn't normally do. But give me a give me a better pitch for presets because right now I'm feeling pretty pretty down on them. <laughs> a better pitch for presets. You're funny. Um, a better pitch. I I don't. Okay. So I, I, similar to you, because I don't do weddings, events, I don't process really large volumes of images and I go in and I have the luxury of spending a lot of time on every image. Um, I do have presets that like, like the way my f- images come into, to Lightroom Classic, that is, I have some raw defaults. So that's a use of a preset so that I never have to change like my, my, um, lens correction. Those two boxes are always checked. So it removes chromatic aberration and corrects any lens distortion. And I always set my profile to, to um, landscape because that's the majority of my images are landscape. So in that case, like there we go. I'm using a preset right there. I also have presets that change, uh, my highlights shadows. 
Okay. You can make a preset that does auto. <laughs> Get this. You can make a preset that does auto and that will do the auto correction, right? But the auto correction to me doesn't do enough to some sliders and does too much to others. So I make a second preset that removes everything but the black and white points. Oh, so then I can go in and make another preset or make it part of that preset, set my sliders to specific values, like add a little bit of more um, reduction in highlights or addition of shadows or noise reduction or um, a little bit of clarity or texture, or whatever that is. It just depends on what it is I'm photographing. So those kind of presets do help me a lot because then I, yeah. you know, anytime I find myself like, oh my gosh, I've moved the shadow slider like 10 times, just make a preset for it, right? Mm-hmm. So, but a preset that changes the whole look and feel of an image, I don't use them very much because I don't do those effects very much. I think maybe because I'm more traditional and I, I don't mess with my colors as much. That being said, it is a, presets are a brilliant way to learn how people edit their photos. Mm-hmm. And that's why in Lightroom, and on mobile, so not Lightroom Classic, but in the, right. the Lightroom on desktop, they have um, this whole area of presets and then there's online presets. So like I've uploaded a bunch of images and I allow people to take, basically extract a preset of all the settings that I did to my image. Now I don't do real like cinema stuff. So it, I don't know that they would be very useful to anybody, but as a beginner, if I'm on Lightroom on the desktop or on mobile, I can go and get like recommended, like there's, there's AI there that will recommend different presets. And then I can say like, Oh, I like that preset on my image. Cause it shows you what it looks like mm-hmm. on your actual image. And then wow. you can click on it and then you can download the preset and then you can go over and look through all of the different panels and be like, Oh, I see what they're doing in HSL or look at, they've changed the hues there. Everything that was red is now orange. That's how they're getting this really funky look. So as far as a learning tool, I think it's pretty amazing because you can kind of reverse engineer because they're just a bunch of sliders. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I do think they can be useful for both the batch processing, like you're mentioning, the little mundane things that you do a lot every day, and then also as a learning tool. And then also just because they, if you're consistent with how you photograph, like the lighting and everything, and you're photographing in a studio and you're doing, I don't know, like the holidays are coming up. Maybe you're doing holiday portraits or, you know, yeah. whatever, um, school photos, Man, to be able to just put a preset on there, because you don't have that much time to invest in editing every single one of those images. And these adaptive presets are insane. So the first thing I did with the new masking is, you know how it'll find a person in your image? Mm -hmm. And then you can say, okay, I want to make all, I think, eight masks. I just made a preset that just finds the people and makes the mask for me. And then I have some default settings. Like I might, you know, lighten the teeth a little or add a little dehaze and then exposure, lighten the exposure of the eye. So that's just all in my one preset. So the second a portrait comes up, I can click one button, the mask's already made and my default settings are applied. I probably still need to go in and tweak them, but hey, anything that'll save me time for stuff like that is great. I was going to bring up the adapter presets because especially for portraits, sorry, I'm, I'm having a moment because you just blew my mind because I've spent so much time, <laughs> you know, um, so for, for people who aren't familiar, what you can do is you can uh, go to the masking panel. If there's a person in your image, it'll do a little quick scan and say, well, here's a person or maybe you have two people 
And then you click that person and then you can select which aspect, either their full body or maybe their eyes or their, their teeth or their skin and then create masks based on that. And that's that's brilliant. But I kept finding myself going in and, OK, I've, I've made a mask for the lips. Now I have to go back, click the person and then click the other thing that I want. And I never thought that I could just make a preset that would build all those out. So yeah, so mind is blown. But also one of the things that I wanted to mention here was the adaptive presets that are in the portrait category are great because like for eye adjustments, like you can – I think it's just called enhance eyes. And what it does is I believe it like increases uh, exposure a little bit, increases clarity and maybe it does something with, with contrast. And so just clicking that creates the mask, applies those. Uh, you know, wherever the person's eyes are. But unlike a lot of presets where you're either choosing like this one preset that you know makes everything look faded and mad maxi or another one that's you know uh, super saturated with the adaptive presets, you can just keep clicking them and say, all right, here's what I want to do to the eyes and here's what I want to whiten the teeth and just boom, boom, boom. And it just it – it has literally changed the way I edit portraits in Lightroom in a significant way. You know, you guys are both talking about presets and I'm thinking there's really two parts to my process with Lightroom. There's arts and then there's crafts. So craft being the the mundane work. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> going to apply a, a correction for my lens. I'm going to uh, take care of chromatic aberration. I'm going to go through and set my profile to what I always use, which is landscape like Julianne. I'm going to do all these things that are mindless, like clicking in buttons. And then when it comes to throwing sliders, I want to be able to do that manually because that's the arts part, right? That's where I want to have full control. Mm-hmm. So with all of the new masking tools and all of the new adaptive things that are included in Lightroom now, our list of things that we would just automatically do to a photo to prep it for the arts phase, we can preset those and not sit there and spend 10 minutes clicking all the pan- opening all the panels, clicking the buttons and then closing the panels. Right. So you, you pitched me well, I'm going to do I'm gonna set those <laughs> presets up um, because I, I am, I am a little bit surprised at how patient I am with myself in going through and, and changing that profile, of the landscape every time I go profile landscape profile Mm -hmm. like why am i doing that you know that's yeah (laughs) there's a bot for that (laughs) (laughs) well the 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 thing about presets at one point i had the realization uh because everybody talks about presets get my presets and now all your photos can look exactly like mine i'm like no i i don't want my photos to look exactly like yours and the 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 brainstorm or the the big light bulb that went off was presets are automation they are not uh, you know, just LUTs, right? So they are something that will flip a whole bunch of sliders for you so you don't have to do it every single time. And that that like twisted my brain around presets where before I was like, ah, I, don't, I don't really care about presets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they introduced the adaptive presets and I'm like, oh, presets are cool. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we've changed your life, Mason. Well, yeah, I got to say, if I, if I, and I do this a lot as a, as an educator, I like to step back from my, you know, bubble and go, go back to when I switched from Aperture to Lightroom 2, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Go back to that point and say, imagine what Lightroom is now compared to what it was then and all the things it does that we didn't even think about doing to photos, 
And the things that Lightroom will do now that would require hours of labor in Photoshop three years ago, four years ago, I, I tell people you, you shouldn't complain about these programs and you shouldn't complain about how much they cost because it is so amazing and so full featured. And it is, you know, Julianne, you've used this word a couple of times and I, and I say this in my classes, it's like magic. It's like there's some dark sauce in there that's um, <laughs> making these things work because I don't know how I would get there on my own. And that's where I have to be kind of humble and say, listen, as long as I've been using these programs, I still hadn't thought of that. I still hadn't thought of that particular ability. And I want to ask, ask you a question, Julianne. That's, this is a really personal question. And I know that your background, your education is in psychology. So I want to get, get deep dive on this. I've processed photos in Lightroom for years now. If I go back more than a year and look at a photo that I processed, I instantly click reset all settings because I can't stand how I did it a year ago or two years ago. Cause I go, that was like a, baby drawing a picture of an elephant and it doesn't look anything like an elephant. And Oh my God, what was I thinking? Do you think that's <laughs> how because do you, you... How do you look at your old edits? How do you look at your old work in Lightroom? Oh, I hate all my old work. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Lightroom. I just, I think that, um, I think looking back on your images is very, very important. I think it's something that a lot of people don't do enough of these days. I think that we can learn a ton about our work. Um, it can give us insights. That's why I try to do a book at the end of every year, just for me, not, not for anyone else, but just a book um, so that I can start seeing the relationship between the images that I'm taking. For example, here's a good one. Uh, you know, I realized that I take better pictures when I'm alone. It took me years to figure that out. I was like, I, you know, I just didn't, or I take better pictures when I'm in an environment that has a very kind of, desaturated color palette. Someone told me my, they like, my color palette is somewhere between doom and gloom. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, so yeah. Uh, but I think that, you know, as we learn, which hopefully we're always learning, right? I only use, um, at most three stars. So I usually use one and two stars. That's it. When I rate my images, cause I'm always hoping like, well, maybe next year I'll be better. And I'll actually take that first four star image. So the fact, like, I try not to beat myself up on it. I hope I'm getting better. I hope the images that I took this year are better. I hope I am processing them better than I was last year. The tools are getting better, which makes me hesitant to throw out, um, you know, images that I think, wow, you know, I, we, we could never have recovered those, those highlights or shadows and in yesteryear, but you know, <laughs> but now we can. So. I don't think it's uncommon to want to go back and reprocess what we did before based on the knowledge that we have today. And we'll probably continue doing that in the future as well, because we'll learn more. We'll become hopefully more visually savvy and there'll be a little bit, maybe more depth or layering to our editing. I think one of the nicest things that this AI masking can do is I think it can help take people to the next level of editing Right. So I think beginners, they come in and they do all the global edits 
and they master that and it makes their image look a lot better. But to actually go in and make selective edits and help like lead the viewer's eye through the image or put emphasis on a certain point or de-emphasize something else, all of that's really important too. And I think that these masking tools make that so much easier and more accessible that I, I'm encouraged. I mean, I, I can't wait to see. I think the I think the quality of photography will continue to to increase for those people who who start using those tools and continue to study it. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, there's a lot of photos I've taken years and years ago where I I couldn't do with them what I wanted to do with them creatively. You know, in my mind's eye, I had this image in my head, and I couldn't make that image out of the raw file that I'd made. And so I, I kind of Walt Disney'd them, right? I put them in cryogenic freeze and <laughs> couldn't wait until the, the, the software can do it. Uh, and I need to go back in the wintertime for me is the time to do that. I go back and, um, dig through the catalog and go wait, deep dive and say, wait, wait, where are those photos that I knew that were better than they were, than I made them. Yeah, um, that's the other thing back to them. That's the other thing too, is like, sometimes we are making images that we might not understand as we're going through the process. Like if you believe that photography can also be very intuitive and that we're telling stories, sometimes we may not be aware on a conscious level of the story that we're trying to tell. So it's another reason why you just don't want to ditch the images that you were like, eh, I don't know what that was about. And it's like, well, maybe if you look back over the year, you'll notice there's some kind of relationship or some kind of pathway or some kind of body of work that you might be heading towards that um, you may not see when you just see the individual images. So mm-hmm. I, I do think it's really important to go back through our images. That might have got a little too like esoteric for people. I don't know. But no, no, I mean, it's all about all. it's storytelling, right? So <laughs> it's all about the stories. And sometimes I don't think we're ready to tell the stories like externally like maybe deep down inside we are and so we're pursuing them and we can laugh oh well yeah i just took that photo whatever but then you see a a theme of it and you're like oh okay maybe this is more significant maybe i need to explore this a little bit more that's awesome you got any more lightroom questions jeff no no dried that up I can't really follow up this the, this this nice uh, wrap up of the the psychology <laughs> and the art and the story of photography <laughs> because I mean honestly that's that's what we're doing here that I, I mean that that's what makes it interesting for me and just to be able to you know to bring it into Lightroom and on the technical side know that if I'm out shooting a landscape and I really need to to drop the exposure to account for highlights so I don't blow it blow things out and just know that Lightroom will take care of that for me um, or even this is the tip that I always feel bad about saying but I stick by it. Literally almost every image I edit, I hit the auto button right away just to see what it will do and occasionally – I will see something that I didn't see on the day. Like there might be color in the clouds that which would barely perceptible that certainly didn't show up in the JPEG. But with the raw file and the auto uh, settings, we're like, oh, there's some pink in those clouds. Well, then maybe I can then go and work on the hue saturation luminance of that and bring it up. And so just to, to impart the idea that there's also a lot of discovery that happens when you're editing photos, and I love that. I love that a lot. I do That's, too because I'm not a photojournalist, yeah. so I don't have to play by any rules, you know. And my whole thing is, 
Yeah, I can change the color. I can remove things. I can, you know, I don't usually add things like a moon or anything, but I will remove a distracting rock or something like that because I just want the person who views the image to feel the same. So for me, it's a lot more about emotion. And I want them, if I need to change my image so that I feel like when they look at that image, they will feel the same as I did while I took it, then that's kind of my goal. So, Yeah. And you know what? Nobody is going to come back to you and say, you know, I was standing right there and there's a rock and you took out that rock and that really bugs me. Like it's not going to happen. You know, it's not because I'm not publishing it journalistically. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They say you shouldn't meet your heroes, right? Because you'll you'll be disappointed. You don't have to call me your hero. You don't have to call me your hero. I mean, we've been doing this long enough that, uh, okay, go ahead. All right, go ahead. (laughs) I met you before you were my hero, Jeff. (laughs) Oh, you guys are great. I totally just stepped all over that. That's okay. It was a nice moment. Thanks, Jeff. A little little Um, tear there. Yeah. But Julianne, I, I, I just have to thank you. As as someone who prefers the capture side of the process to the to the software side, your helpful videos, it's always been the videos for me. I have never had the opportunity to see you live. I'd love to sometime, but your videos have been such a help because there's a lot of noise out there on how to do things in these programs. And you're, you just cut to the chase. You're like, this is the new feature. Here's how you use it. And there's some possibilities and it's simple. It's elegant. It's absolutely understandable for someone like me who needs to try things a few times before it clicks. It's, it's really, really nice. So I want to thank you for your years of, of, of helping me out in this process, in this creative process and helping me get the photos that I want out of my camera. Well, thank um, you. That that means a lot to me. It really does. I try to, I, you know, I just have such an advantage of being able to access the engineers because I'm not that technical either, but I, I see this stuff first. So I have time to try to break it down. And so that's my whole goal is just to provide a little bit of education, a little bit of inspiration so that hopefully it's not this technically daunting application, but it is actually something that is fun and helps people tell their stories. So good. Yeah. And I, I have to give Adobe a a really big pat on the back too for having evangelists for having a, a strong dedication to education. One of the features I love showing my students in Lightroom, not Lightroom Classic, but the 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 basic Lightroom with quotes is the learning side, the discovery and explore panels that are hidden up in that left corner. I, I click on those in class and people just go, what it's yeah. in that program. You have all of this stuff. It's like, yeah, everything you need is right in here. Nobody else does that. And uh, so, and nobody else has a uh, Julianne cost and a Terry white and, you know, all these great creative people who are out there explaining the products and not selling them, just explaining them and just saying this, you, you've got this product you depend on. Here's how you can make it work better for you. And so, you know, there's my plug for Adobe and thank you, Adobe, for sponsoring <laughs> Photo Combobulate. Uh, actually, they're not, they're not a sponsor, although they could be. But, but. Oh, they, they're not? Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> we sponsor them. That's right. That's right. So, uh, Julian, tell us how to find these videos. Oh, you can and, go to my blog, which is um, jcost.com slash blog. Okay. Yeah. We'll put a link in the show notes. That'd so be great. It's easy for people to find. And then you have YouTube channel. And so in that, I know in the blog, there's a, actually a video section. And what I love about your blog is that it's broken down by program, broken down by subject. And so people can really drill down and find what they need pretty quickly instead of having to scroll through that, that YouTube catalog, which is pretty long. <laughs> yeah, it's all searchable too. So that, that's quite nice. I'm trying to archive some stuff. But there's also some great... Um, 
handouts on shortcuts and stuff too if that's you know and the great thing is it's all thanks to adobe so it's all free awesome awesome well thank you so much for being with us thank you so much for inviting me it's been a it's been a great hour thank you (laughs) excellent love it